hello and welcome to episode four of the 1099 for the week of July 20th. It is a actually sunny and nice day for once in Jacksonville, Florida. I think I update you guys on the weather every single time and every time it's been, it's really rainy and awful out here. And right now it's really, it's really nice. It's like 95 degrees, humid. Uh, I have a super interesting guest today. That's the way I'm going to describe it. I have a cartoon on the show today. <laughs> um, someone I've been watching for a while uh, with me today is Tommy Tohold. Tommy, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, so I'm a big MMA fan. I have been for a long, long, long time. Um, and you have been making videos, cartoon videos on YouTube uh, for a long time. It's just humorous uh, takes on certain events in, in MMA. And I really wanted to have you on the show. One, because I'm a, I'm a fan of your work. I really like what you do. I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, and two, what we've talked about a lot on the 1099 with different guests is a lot about the emergence of video, especially in the video game industry, but just in journalism in general. Like Video has become a really important way to get your message out there. Some people don't even read anymore. They go straight to a video of a news story or a video review instead of reading a review. So if you could, I'd like to talk to you about kind of how you got your start in video and what you feel has brought about what is uh, undeniable success in that field. Well, thank you. First of all, let me say that. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the the kind words. It was sort of, uh, honestly, it was an accident. I, I never really anticipated, I guess it's kind of the cliche of, of the YouTuber to say, oh, I never knew it was going to do this. Uh, but I, I sort of, it just sort of happened. I was an English teacher and I was a young English teacher and the school system that I was in made budget cuts. And I didn't have a job anymore. So they took the younger <laughs> teachers and they, they let us go. And in my time between jobs, I was, I was searching for different work and there were all sorts of different career paths that I was looking at taking. But while I did that, I wanted to make something about MMA. I've always been a big MMA fan and I was that guy in college and that every fight card I had to watch. And of course, back then there was maybe two a month. Uh, if that times so, have changed. The times have changed a lot. We had four this week. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I wanted to make sort of a video, uh, a vlog, if you will, about MMA, but my camera wasn't really up to task. So it sort of just happened that it ended up being a cartoon, which the cartoon is what ended up making me stand out the most, but that was not really ever part of the plan. So because the camera w didn't work very well, I decided to make a cartoon. And again, my, my, my animation style is very rudimentary. So I essentially just the mouth moves up and down, uh, which that was the that was the extent of the animation ability that I had at the time. And I recorded the original video uh, that I had done or I took the audio from it, re-recorded it. But it wasn't very funny. And the problem with that is if you have a cartoon and you're not being funny, it just didn't flow very well. So I decided, OK, well, I need to sort of, you know, make this a little bit more humorous. And uh, and then a few weeks later, I decided to do a fake interview Never anticipated that I would do fake interviews at all. So I had Nick Diaz uh, as a character on the show, and I thought, wouldn't it be funny if he was talking about his legal issues at the time? And people went nuts. I mean, they really, really lost it. So I thought, okay, well, I'll try it. Let's do another fake interview the next week. And then I realized after maybe three or four weeks, okay, this this is my thing now. I have to do interviews. So I started doing all these impressions of fighters, and that's when things really took off. But it sort of happened organically. I did set it up to succeed. I knew that Wednesdays were very high traffic on YouTube. 
and I knew that if I stayed consistent with when the show came out, that, that would help me draw in an audience. Uh, so there were things that I did after researching uh, what makes a successful channel that I ended up using and implementing, but the idea, the concept, I never anticipated that I would be a cartoon for a living. If <laughs> if I could somehow get in a time machine and go back to myself as an English teacher and, and tell them where I was right now, I don't think they would have believed it. <laughs> and a couple things out of what you said. You had mentioned uh, Wednesdays are a good day and it's good, it's good to kind of have a set schedule. Where did you kind of learn about, and I don't want to use too many corporate terms, but YouTube best practices? Like how did you discover, uh, you know, once again, I need to have it on this day at this time. Uh, what kind of led you in like that research? Yeah, it was. I'm obsessed with optimization. <laughs> I, I, it's just been anything that. So I was I was an English teacher and I was a football coach. And I think actually it was my my coaching career that got me to the point where I started researching these things for anything that I would be doing. And I was so much about efficiency, about efficiency of movement, about the efficiency of plays, and and all these things that we had done. Um, I was our technical guy. I always broke down our film and. It was that background that led me to, okay, if I'm going to make a YouTube channel, how do I optimize this? So I did a lot of research. Um, there are so many SEO blogs and, um, and and just a lot of, uh, even on YouTube, there are a lot of videos where people are like, okay, well, you know, this is peak traffic. Or you, you try to find reliable sources. I think that's the biggest thing. Successful people, not just some video that has 10 views and, and you know, they could be saying anything. But people that you know have um, the sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Pedigree, I suppose. They have the background. They've done the research. They're successful, and you know that what they're saying is likely true. Uh, another person that I, I drew a lot of um, techniques from was uh, Tim Ferriss, who writes a lot of books on optimization as well uh, in, in all different facets, and he's sort of uh, one of these uh, Silicon Valley angel investor guys, but he, he does a lot of things about efficiency that, that helped me as well in my, in my creating of the show. But yeah, I, I don't remember exactly where the sources were, but the, the research was telling me that Wednesdays were high traffic, so that is when I chose to do the show. Yeah, and uh, I know before you were, it was just Wednesday, right? It was once a week, a Wednesday show for a bit? Correct, for about the first year and a half. So that changed. I know um, for a while you were doing, was it one every single day? Yes, that happened for about a 40-day span. <laughs> <laughs> so um, two things, what made you decide to do that? Uh, other than, you know, making sure that you're giving yourself, you know, more and more opportunities to have a video explode because you're doing seven a week. And also, how much of a struggle was that? It was quite a struggle. So here's what here's what was happening. Uh, I started the weekly show, and I didn't miss a week for over a year. I mean, I was dead on. It did not matter what was happening. It could have been Christmas morning. There was going to be a Tommy <laughs> Tohold show. And I ended up adding a second show which was called The Sack, and it was my it was a question-and-answer show. Hmm. So now I had two shows a week. It was Saturday, and it was Wednesday. Um, and the thing that started happening was the Wednesday shows started getting out of control because I kept adding more and more and more content, and people were expecting more and more mm -hmm. and more content to the point where the early episodes of Tommy were three minutes tops. I wanted them to be small because, again, those had a higher chance of going viral. By the time I had drawn the larger audience, though, I got into this weird rut where I was making like 15, 17-minute videos. <laughs> and the way I work, uh, just creatively, it was just killing me to make these super long episodes. So I was having lunch with a friend, and they said, why don't you just split those up during the week? At first, I thought, that's just crazy. Like, that's not going to... And then it hit me in the head, and I thought, 
I could make six or seven different types of Tommy to hold episodes, make them three minutes each, mm. because at that point I had gotten so efficient with how I was working, a three-minute episode did not seem like that much work. So I thought, okay, each day I'll wake up and I'll knock an episode out, mm. not realizing what that would really mean. Well, <laughs> so I tried it, and for 40 days it worked. On the 41st day, uh, I think I either got sick or I got something happened to a tooth. Okay. And I couldn't do the show. And I was like, look, guys, I, the streak is over. I, was, I mean, we were even counting the days. Like, the fans <laughs> all had this, the streak, the hashtag, the streak. It was all the scoopy stuff. And it was, the streak was over. And I'm one of those people that when I have momentum rolling, I am good to go. You cannot stop me. But one hiccup and the whole thing collapses. So, like, it was like a week until somebody got another show after that. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I yeah. totally know what you mean. Especially, I mean, uh, if I'm doing reviews, if I uh, have, you know, like one every week, you're rolling, you're playing the game, your writing is flowing. But if you have that break where it's the, the summer doldrums and no games are coming out, kind of like right now, and I'm not writing <laughs> for a bit. Like suddenly when you get that next one, you have to kind of like kick your ass to get back in shape. You got to like get your yeah. juices going because you end up writing something and you're like, oh, this is this is hot garbage. What's going on? And it's really hard <laughs> to get back into that. So I absolutely understand. Yes. So it was one of those things that it was a good idea at the time. I think I learned a lot from that process. And even though I don't do daily shows now, I still do more than I was doing per week in the past. I try to do three, maybe four. It depends. But with the other channel as well now. I'm definitely making content every single day, and I think it's important to keep that momentum. Um, obviously, there are times where I'm going to get sick or something like that, but I can't think of a day in the last three to four months that I was not making a show in some capacity, and I think that's important for me, at least in my style of creating, that if I don't keep that momentum, there will be a lull, and I, and I don't like that. Did you ever consider, or have you recently considered, going back to the once a week on Wednesday? Or were you kind of more set on the three to four a week? I kind of like the three or four a week because I have a decent size audience and I have a pretty good audience retention at this point. And I think they crave more content. If I were to make one episode a week, even if it were a little bit longer, I still think fans would be disappointed because of sort of the format that I've already established now at this point. Yeah, I'm not doing dailies, but they do expect more than one or two a week. And there are a lot of things I would like to implement with Tommy. I'm constantly experimenting with it. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if suddenly I went to a daily program again and see if I can do that. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things that the unpredictability of it is sort of, I guess the fans are used to it at this point. Uh, they're used to me being, you know, they think I'm some sort of, uh, I don't want to say screw up, but they, they look at me like that, like this kind of like, eh, Tommy says he's going to get it out, it'll be out next week. You know, it's one of those things, and they've sort of embraced it, and uh, and they make fun of me about it all the time. But yeah, I don't know, I think it's it would serve me best, ideally, if, if I had all the time in the world and I never had a creative rut, I would probably have a Tommy episode out every single day. And you had mentioned before about making them more bite-sized so they can go viral, and that's absolutely important. Of course, when you have a viral video, it doesn't guarantee your success moving forward. Maybe you get 10 million hits on something, and then your next three videos are 100 or 200. Yes. But you do have experience going viral, because I know you did the uh, EA Sports UFC glitches videos, which I know have done very, very well for you. Uh, and you also did the uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out video for the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. So if you could, like, kind of talk about the process of, of course, every video you want to be a hit. But some you have to know going in, like, oh, this is a really high probability of breaking out. Like, what, what determines that for you? Yeah, you're right. And, and sometimes I've sought 
to go like the Mayweather Pacquiao video, which I made with my partner Naya Rodriguez. We had that that Newberg Groupers channel together. Mm. That video we sought out specifically to go viral. And it was a combination of things, and, and I'll go over that here in just a moment. But, but first, I want to talk about the glitch videos, which went viral. Those I was not 100% sure were going to go viral. It was one of those things that I knew MMA fans would enjoy, but I did not anticipate casual people enjoying it. But I, I never really factored in the fact that it's just funny to see bodies moving in an unnatural way. It was and- <laughs> fantastic too. And sorry to cut you off because I remember being, uh, I have a full time job as well as my freelance stuff. And I was in the office just like passing it around to people like, guys, this is really funny. Uh, Cause I have a couple uh, people in there who, you know, watch MMA. And then I had sent it to <laughs> my reviews editor at GameSpot and he was cracking up. And then uh, he sent it, he tweeted it out and sent it around. And it's just, I could totally see how something like that can go viral because it was it's it's hilarious. I know you've done four of them at this point. They're all great. Yeah, thank you. And, and yeah, the the fourth has gone viral and the first went viral. The other two did pretty well. I mean, don't get me wrong. They were the numbers were good, uh, but they didn't go quite like the first and the fourth. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that I think you're right. It's 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 a shareable thing, and it's hard for me to know what's funny when I'm making it because I'm the one that made it, so it doesn't it loses a little bit of its humor. But I could I could see the humor in just the insanity of those glitches. And I thought, if I can add just a little bit of humor with this commentary, people are really going to enjoy these. And uh, I had no idea that people were going to enjoy them that much. But <laughs> it was one of those things that it's just so stupid funny that everybody was sharing it. And I think that's what really helped. Mm. With the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, we, we consciously went out to make a viral video. And we thought, okay, I had made, I'd actually made a, a Punch-Out parody in the past um, that it didn't, I wouldn't say it went viral, but for the time for Tommy... It was the biggest video I'd ever made. Yeah. And it was Anderson Silva getting knocked out in a very similar fashion of video. Mm-hmm. And it got 100,000 views, which for Tommy at the time, I was like, oh, my God, I'm rich. Like, this, my <laughs> life is complete. Of course, now, you know, I look back and it wasn't that big a deal. But at the time it was. So I thought, OK, I know how to make that kind of video. It caught some steam outside of the MMA community. And this boxing match was the biggest thing ever. Yeah. So we were going to make it and we wanted it to come out before the fight. Well, the the process of making the video took so long and it was a predictive video. We were going to predict what was going to happen. And, you know, I think for casual fans, that was part of the appeal because the video came out right as the fight started. It very closely mirrored how the fight went. Yes. So there were lots of people outside of boxing that were like, this guy predicted the fight, even though if you're a boxing fan or a fighting fan, most people thought that's how the fight was going to go. Yeah, there was and, like one of two ways. It's either Floyd dancing around, which was like a 90% chance or a 10% chance of a Manny uh, knockout. Right. So you got right, it. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it came out. And of course, and I, I text Naya uh, right as the fight started. I said, I hope this fight goes just like the video. Because if it does, <laughs> this might be big. And sure enough, it did. I shared it immediately after. And I think it's important that I had... Because I have people in the fight community, I think that's the reason that it went viral. I don't know if it would have been as easy to go viral had I not already had all these influential people in the fight community yeah. that were seeing the video and then sharing it. Because those people were, everybody's eyes were on the fight community that night. Mm. So the people outside the fight community saw that those fight people were sharing this video. And then I think that is how it started catching on. But yeah, we, we consciously went out that night to make one and, and it, it actually it paid off that time. And it's crazy. I still can't believe how viral it went and how many views were actually lost due to people embedding it uh, in ways that weren't from the YouTube channel. There were millions. There was a channel or not a channel. There was a Facebook uh, page 
that took the video and embedded it on Facebook on their own through that was not through our YouTube channel. Oh. And it received 10 million views. <laughs> it had 10 million views oh, and our, our video only got lost. five. Yeah, that's a huge <laughs> bummer. Oh, man. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a really great video. And uh, I think you do a good job of kind of pinpointing like, you know, what's big right now, what's popular. And from there, you can make something shareable. Think about how popular Vine is, how popular Instagram videos are, where it's just this six to 15 second thing where, you know, you send it to a friend, they watch it and it's, it's hilarious and they share it. And that's all yeah. the Facebook videos. Every time you get on Facebook now, which I don't even know why I do it anymore, it's either really dumb memes or it's a crazy video with 20 million views that with a cat stuck in a sandal, like something like that. Um, so, <laughs> of course, I'm going to call your stuff more sophisticated than a cat stuck in a sandal. But in that way, you can kind of go down a similar path and craft something that you know people are going to want to see. Yes, yeah, I do consciously try that. And actually, I've I've thought about when I've made a schedule for Tommy, if I could just make one viral video, or not, a week, obviously that's pushing it, and, and that's mm. not to say that that would happen, but focus and make a video I think might go viral. Yes. that I think I, I, I want to try that at some point because I feel like that could help boost the channel. And, and you're right, I mean, look, that that chan that video got more views than any video I've ever had. It was five million plus, but it didn't. Our vi our channel was not you know immediately huge after that. It's not like every video after that was getting millions of views. That's yeah. not the case, and it's still not the case. We're still growing the channel. Uh, so you're right. Viral videos don't necessarily mean success, but they are a lot of fun. They get you a lot of exposure, and um, yeah, I, I think I could do I could do well with a, a few more of those. <laughs> and uh, previously, you were talking about how you know you don't know what's funny. Of course, until it's until it's out there and people are telling you it's funny. Uh, it's the same way with you know me as a writer, where I sometimes just don't know if something I'm writing is good. Sometimes when you're looking at your own stuff for too long, you're just your eyes are glazed over. You're reading through it. You're missing stuff that you should be seeing, but it's your own stuff. It's hard to tell if it's good, if it's funny, if it's clever. Do you actually have some anyone kind of as an editor in a way? So for me, I have. Uh, you know, my editor at GameSpot who will look at my stuff and, you know, give me edits back and be like, this part's dog shit, please change it. And I wouldn't have realized that <laughs> if he wasn't there. I promise he's never actually said that. But so do, do you ever, have you ever either, do you have someone looking at your videos or have you ever considered doing that? Like just even if it's just a friend, kind of look it over and be like, this is hilarious or maybe you should tweak this. I really, I try, well, with, with Nubergoobers, that's the good thing about having a partner. With Naya, I can we can we can share the videos with each other that we're working on and, and just be like, what do you think, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and then and 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 give a real assessment. With Tommy, I don't have that. Sometimes I will send it to my brother, but he he's usually not going to say anything bad about it. Mm. Um, but I do have the same struggle as you, in that I don't know if it's good or not. Sometimes I'll look at it and I'm like, I, this could be hilarious, this could be horrible. And there have been videos that I've put out that I thought were just hilarious i was like oh man people are gonna love this and then it gets out and then they're just like mm, not your best work tommy and i'm like oh man yeah and then there's other ones that i'll put out i'm like this was not this was not my best work this was a stupid joke and it's huge people can't get enough of it so uh, it's hard really it is it's very hard to gauge what is funny and what is not funny and i do wish i had some sort of editor or somebody that uh at least on the tommy and like i said on Nubergoobers, i'm okay but with Tommy, I, I would it would be nice to have somebody that could look at it and be like, "Yeah, that's garbage, man. You need to <laughs> you need to change this episode." Because I've definitely put out a few episodes here and there that I'm like, "That was horrible. I don't know why anybody has subscribed to this channel <laughs> after that video." Oh, 
I, I do like your idea, though, of maybe focusing on a, a few more bite-sized ones that could go viral. Uh, this wasn't as bite-sized, but one of my favorite episodes that you've done on the Tommy channel is that GSP's day off where he's... Was that just after yeah. he had like taken that break uh, before he... At this point, I think we should consider George St. Pierre officially retired. But uh, <laughs> yes, I do too. You know, like you know, at the very end, uh, smoking weed with uh, Nick Diaz. That was one of my favorite videos you did. So I think that would be a really interesting idea to kind of be like, okay, what's really popular right now? Look, Conor McGregor. Okay, he just won the interim championship, uh, and have something very specific that he might have said and make a whole video out of it. So I think, yeah, I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah, no, I agree. I think. Uh, sometimes things hit at the right time and it's the right place, but I think I can, I don't think that that is just organic. I think it can be manipulated mm. and I think you can look at what's happening and trends. One channel that I look at a lot for, uh, that terms like, a and, and how they structure their channel in terms of success and, and how they get videos to go viral is, um, game theory, mm. uh, Matt Pat, Matt Pat to me is so smart in terms of what he does because He'll make a Game of Thrones video the week Game of Thrones premieres. It won't have to do necessarily with the premiere, but he'll make a video, of a theory video about it, knowing that there's all these websites looking for Game of Thrones content, Yeah, and then they will share it. I mean, he, he, he's very good at keying in on moments in time in popular culture, and I think I could do that better with Tommy if I can get these videos out quick enough where <laughs> there's a moment in time where it's like, this is a magic moment. If I can capture this, it'll be huge. And it does happen every once in a while. The GSP's day off one. I agree. I really like that one a lot. That was one of my favorites. Uh, there was another one I, I did that was in the similar style called the wrong tweet. Good night. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really weird situation. It would not have been popular a week later, but it was red hot at that time. And I was able to put it out and people really liked it. So I agree. I think keying in on those moments, is is crucial yeah timing is everything it, it's a weird thing to think about i mean i i'm active on twitter but i'm not getting you know hundreds of retweets or anything like that but i remember uh during e the most recent e3 there was that sony press conference where they were just knocking it out of the park like hey you want shenmue 3 boom here's shenmue 3 uh <laughs> you want last guardian you thought that was canceled fuck you we're opening with it and they just kind of went down this checklist um it's final fantasy 7 remake and i was tweeting the entire time and then more than ever i'm looking at my mentions getting you know, 20 retweets on this one, 30 retweets on this one. I'm like, geez, like it makes you really think about that in that way that you could build momentum by producing interesting content, creative stuff at this perfect moment where there's like everyone is surrounding something and watching something. And once again, looking back at the, the boxing video you did, that's a good example of that. You knew that that was the biggest goddamn fight ever. So you produce content around that. Uh, and I think that's, once again, it's something that's worked really well for you. And I think something in general, if someone's looking to start a YouTube channel uh, and you're starting at zero, a good way to kind of at least get that initial push is to find a topic. Oh, yes. Uh, and create content that no one else is creating, which that is way easier said than done. But, you know, do something that's not just a let's play of Minecraft. Right. Um, and post that at a time that makes sense. Absolutely. So, yeah. And... um. And we can let's start talking a little bit more about uh, your gaming channel, which is Nuber Goobers, uh, and that's a recent channel you've done. Like like we said, you had that really popular viral video on there, which must have really helped you. But just kind of, I've known you've been in MMA, of course, for a long time. How long have you been into gaming? Uh, gaming has been a lot longer than MMA. Mm. Uh, MMA was a fascination that I picked up in high school when a friend of mine 
who was a, a wrestler, was really, really into it. He actually went on to fight the UFC later. But uh, that was where my obsession with, with fighting started. My obsession with gaming started when I was, like, five. <laughs> uh, it was one of those things. We got a Nintendo, and it just took off. Now, we got a Nintendo right before the Super Nintendo yeah. hit. So we actually were a little bit late to the Nintendo game. But, you know, we had maybe a, a two-year span where we were just obsessed with Zelda and Mario and all these wonderful games that had already come out for the Nintendo. And then when the SNES dropped, it was just like my whole life changed. I mean, <laughs> I, it was, I could not even wrap my head around it. And ever since then, every console generation, I've had one of the two, if not both or three, when Nintendo makes one that I want. Um, you know, Whatever system. that is. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, currently I have a PS4 and a Wii U. Uh, Wii U just because I... I can't get over the damn nostalgia from being so obsessed with Nintendo as a child. And, you know, I got to pick up their five games, a, gen a console generation that oh, I want. Sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> that almost makes it worth the price. I don't own a Wii U. Um, but there's moments where I'm like, no one makes games like Nintendo. Um, it's true. And I know this is not going to be supported by any third parties. You're not going to see EA, Ubisoft, uh, anyone like that making good third-party games on here. But if I can just use this as my the newest uh, Zelda and Mario machine, that might be okay. Like that might exactly. be worth the money. But yeah, I did you ever you know you talk about this? We're very similar in that way. I got the original Nintendo. I think I was like five, and then Super Nintendo uh, shortly after that. Um, did you ever consider instead of doing the MMA channel, doing a video game YouTube channel like kind of first? You know what? I really didn't because I didn't realize how huge gaming channels were on YouTube. Mm -hmm. When I started Tommy, I watched YouTube videos. I think sort of how a casual person watches YouTube videos. I went on and I watched a compilation of people getting hit in the nuts or something. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, that's funny. Use, yeah, the best use of YouTube. <laughs> the best use of YouTube. That's literally all it's for. No, but you know, I would use it for that. I'd use it for tutorials, things like that. I hadn't really known about this sort of YouTube as a business. I didn't really understand that. And it was after Tommy that I realized, oh, my God, gaming is massive yeah. on YouTube. And then I started watching these gaming channels. and I thought, this content is really fun. And I'd always wanted to make one. For the longest time, I wanted to make a gaming channel after I'd started Tommy. But before Tommy, I didn't even realize that that was a thing, really, that I could do. Um, I had no idea that I could tap into that. And I feel like I, in the years since I started Tommy, one, I've learned so much more about YouTube and how it works. And two, I've, I've become so much more enamored with the idea of gaming on YouTube that it just was something that was inevitably going to happen at some point. It's shocking how quickly that business has grown because I feel like we still don't fully understand it. So many people still don't, don't have the ability to wrap their heads around it. I mean, you hear that uh, PewDiePie, you know, not to stay on this for too long, you know, is making, you know, it's over seven million or something like right. that, which is crazy. Um, it and is. I yeah. think I don't watch his stuff, but. I know he's a hardworking dude who puts a lot into it. So when people hear that number, I think they initially say like, oh, this guy sits on his ass all day and plays video games and he makes right. money. It's not the case at all. Um, and I don't want to get too much into your financials, of course, but how long did it take before you were making a living from this? It took a long time because I initially, and I don't ask me why because I don't know the answer. <laughs> I initially didn't monetize my channel. Wow. So, yeah, I would say for the first year and a half to two years, there was no monetization on Tommy. Wow. And I think at first it was because I didn't see it as a career. 
I thought this was still, I was still trying to find like freelance work and I was doing all these different things outside of Tommy to make money, not realizing that, okay, this is actually going to make me some money. Hmm. So uh, it was only in, when sponsors started coming forward and were like, hey, we'll pay you X amount of dollars. And then I was like, oh my God. Uh, okay. And then it was, I would get, you know, offers from partners, YouTube part third parties. And they were like, yeah. Hey, let's partner up and you'll make this much, you know, ad revenue on your, I was like, Whoa. Uh, okay. And that was at that point that I was like, okay, yeah, let's see what this does. And, uh, the big push was Fox sports. I ended up getting a spot on Fox sports covering the UFC on UFC tonight. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was a brief stint, and it, it, it only stopped because of legal reasons in terms of uh, it was just too much for the insurance to keep me on, on the air. Mm. But um, the money, I couldn't believe. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what is happening? And it, it, was that, it was that turn that sort of got me going, okay, this is my career now. I can make money from this. And, and that's when the money started flowing in. And now Tommy and Nubers is all I do. This is, this is how I make my living. Um, but previous to that, I would say I've had the channel for three years. For the first two, I wasn't really making much money from it. And would you consider yourself like comfortable right now in terms of you can not even think about, oh, I know I need to do some freelance work on the side or get another job. Like right now, you're, just, you're totally chugging along fine doing the two YouTube channels. Yeah, I would say, I, see, I'm a man of simple tastes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a whole lot. You know, I really don't. Uh, I live very cheap and I live in a part of the country that the standard of living is not very high. So in terms of cost like if i lived out in california i would be living on the street yeah i would be on the street and there i wouldn't be able to survive but because <laughs> i am living in the midwest where i'm living it's not that bad and i'm okay i'm okay right now now if some giant disaster happened my car exploded or something would i be would money be tight for a minute yeah but generally speaking i'm pretty good i'm okay i think uh about as comfortable as most people with full-time jobs that are hoping to god they don't have some massive uh, payment they have to make in the near future. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it, it's, it continues to go up. That's the thing. The money is, is getting larger, you know, by the month. So I, I think very soon within the next year or so, I'll, I'll be even more than just comfortable. I think that's awesome. And I know right now it feels like you, you've hit a really good groove with the Tommy to hold channel. Uh, like you said, you you're doing three or four videos. You might go back to weekly. You might do more viral stuff, but that's still kind of up in the air. But, uh, the Nuber Goobers channel is very new. So what's what's kind of the goal for that one? Where do you, in a year, what do, what kind of content do you think is be coming out of there? What do you expect the numbers to be like? I'm hoping that the numbers are infinitely larger than Tommy. I mm -hmm. think the market is just so much bigger, yeah. and it is more crowded. But I feel like the content that we are making, our creative content, is really good, and I feel like it could do well. Um, so in terms of numbers for the channel. By next year, I would love to be twice the size of Tommy. So Tommy has about 60,000 subscribers at the moment. Um, if we had 120,000 subscribers by next year, I'd be really solid with that. Um, in terms of money, I don't know where the money will be. I know, you know, Tommy has a lot going on outside of just the videos that allows me to make money from it. So yeah. that's still to be determined in terms of new Groovers. But we would like it to be as big as possible. And I think... We're making a lot of really good content right now that when the channel does pick up steam, a lot of these older videos uh, will be viewed quite a few times by new subscribers, I'm hoping, mm. uh, and, and we'll sort of have that back catalog already there. And I, I really think that, honestly, the gaming channel is just waiting to explode. Tommy 
was a thing that sort of happened over time in a community that I was heavily involved with. Mm. And I think it grew differently than this channel is going to grow. I mean, we're at 12,000 subscribers after a couple months yeah. in comparison to, I mean, I wasn't at 12,000 subscribers after a year with Tommy. I think it's growing faster. And I think it's only going to take a little bit of time before it really starts picking up steam. Like you mentioned before, a lot of this came about by accident in a way. You, you, you never know if you're going to, you as a person are going to go viral, if you're going to actually have these fans. What's been one of the, coolest interactions you've had since uh i know a lot of fighters are retweeting your stuff they're watching the show that is uh parodying them what's been your coolest interaction with a fighter or with uh someone else well okay i've only told this story one other time but uh, it's <laughs> it's gotta be the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened to me my entire life so i'm sitting there working on a show and i get a phone call and it's dana white the oh president my god <laughs> so yeah so immediately i'm like oh my god just like you just did. Yeah. That was my reaction. My heart's racing. He said, hey, we want to meet you. I was like, okay, well, I don't live in Vegas. Um, and they were like, yeah, we'll fly out. So a week later, I'm on a plane to Las Vegas. Oh, my God. I had no idea. I, I, I honestly haven't told this story to very many people. I'm in Vegas for four hours. <sighs> four hours is how long I was in Vegas. So they fly me out. <laughs> They, they, I, they, I go to the UFC headquarters. It was amazing. I hang out with Dana White, Lorenzo Fertitta. We have lunch, and uh, Lorenzo's the owner. Mm. And then Dana takes me on a tour of the facilities. It was incredible. Now, there were two purposes. One, they wanted to meet me. They were curious because I'm, you know, a man of mystery. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and, and the other thing was it was about the Fox Sports thing. Yeah. That's how the whole Fox Sports thing happened. So it was, it was twofold, but I didn't know that at the time. So I get there. I have this ridiculously amazing day meeting with all these people and seeing the facilities and seeing how everything works. And then within four hours, I'm back on a plane heading back home. Oh um, that is without question the absolute craziest thing that has happened in regards to Tommy or anything else I've done with YouTube. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, yeah. it was just nuts. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I don't even know how to follow up from that. Uh, like... <laughs> How many, how many fighters have have you gotten any call from random fighters? Is that mostly just over Twitter where you're talking to them? I've had a few calls from random fighters. My phone number has been passed around to a few people here and there, and I've had some interesting calls for sure. <laughs> Kelvin Gastelum, mm -hmm. he is a uh, he's a welterweight in the UFC, sometimes a middleweight. Yeah, he, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he called me one night. Um, his boxing coach Jamie Huey gave him my number. And he called and act like he was angry about an episode I did. And then at the end told me he was joking. But, I mean, I wish we could have recorded my reaction because I was, like, stumbling over my words. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, you know. So, you know, there was that. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of cool interactions on Twitter. Um, I've I did a podcast with uh, Joe Lozon uh, and Woody's Gamertag, which was uh, he's one of uh, Joe's friends that uh, has a pretty big YouTube channel. That was a really cool experience. Um, and then I went to a couple fights uh, about a year ago or two years ago and talked to a few fighters and told them who I was. And that was a really cool experience. I met like Team Alpha Male. Oh, yeah. They were really, really cool. And yeah, I, so the fighters, I've honestly never had a bad experience with a fighter um, at all. They've all been very, very receptive and very cool about it. Oh, that's great. Uh, speaking of fighters, I do. I know this is a freelance writing video podcast i want to talk to you a little bit about mma uh so one of the biggest <laughs> fights of the year of forever 
was the latest Conor McGregor fight against Chad Mendez, um, which, I mean, I haven't had that many people randomly text me and be like, are you watching the fight? Who do you think is going to win? Um, just a lot of excitement around a UFC event. And I want to know your opinion. I don't know if you do fight predictions. I'm not sure. It's okay if you don't. Just kind of your thought on if and when the uh, Jose Aldo Conor McGregor fight happens. How you see that playing out? Do you think that's going to be the biggest fight in UFC history? Will it be in Dallas, like the Cowboys Stadium? Kind of your thoughts on that stuff. Well, I don't know where it'll be because it's one of those things that I'm not 100% sure when the fight is going to get to happen. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is the timing is going to depend on it. Will will determine where it ends up. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it's in Vegas, though. I know they're building a new arena in Vegas. And uh, if if it happens right around the time that, that that thing is done, I could see them wanting to to put that fight in that place. Um, but in terms of what I think about the fight, I think Conor McGregor showed a lot in the fight against Chad Mendez, and not so much in that he's some sort of unbeatable MMA god, mm. but that he finds ways to win. Yeah. And although Jose Aldo is, I mean, this is a guy who hasn't lost in over a long time, like over yeah. a decade, if not more. Uh, this guy is is in his prime. He's 28 years old. He's top of his game. But I do think that the style of fights that Conor McGregor brings would be a problem for him. Um, I think that he's very large for that division. He's Connor, massive. He's, he's such a he's big massive. dude. He's very long. He's very big. He hits very hard. He's got a hell of a chin. That's one of the biggest things we learned in that Chad Mendez fight. He can take a shot because Jose Aldo is not going to hit Conor McGregor any harder than Chad Mendez did unless he lands some knee really flush because he's, he's been known for his knees. But yeah. otherwise, Chad Mendez hit about as hard as anybody's going to hit in that division. And Conor McGregor took those shots like a champ. And I do think, I think Conor McGregor would win that fight against Jose Aldo. Uh, I wasn't 100% sure, but after seeing that Chad Mendez fight, to me, I feel like it's just a, a crappy matchup for Jose Aldo. Yeah, and I'm not comparing Conor McGregor to Anderson Silva, but he's Anderson Silva-like in that he doesn't need world-class wrestling in order to win a fight because, like you said, he finds a way to win. He can get up, and once he get once he gets up, he's gonna find your chin. And I I do I do worry that he leaves himself open to be hit a lot. He almost invites people to hit him at times, uh, and that chin. Yes. Has held up quite well, but over time, there's the, there's definitely the concern of, especially with how much he's taunting and leaving his hand down the time, his hands down at times. I I agree that um, Jose Aldo is not going to hit as hard as Chad Mendez, but if that fight, I think, could go deeper than round two. Um, yes. If you give him that many opportunities, maybe the kind of the the damage buildup over time. He might be able to finish him off. I, I, I agree. It's it's a damn fun fight. And I remember immediately after I was, I was actually uh, Skyping with my brother and friends while I was with friends and uh, watching the event. And as soon as uh, that fight was done, the first thing I said was, holy shit, Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor is going to be the biggest fight in UFC history. And I, oh, I, yes. I really think so. I, I think if they plan that card right, that could be bigger than UFC 100. I do agree. I do agree. I think it, it's going to take a little bit of, um, you know, <laughs> heavy marketing by the UFC, like they did with this last one. I think it's going to take a really solid co-main event, which will probably be a title fight as well. Yeah. But I do believe 
that that could potentially be the biggest. Actually, I, I mean, I, almost 100%, it will end up being the biggest pay-per-view they've ever had. And, and yeah, and you think about that co-main event. What if, let's just say, you have main event, Conor McGregor versus uh, Jose Aldo. Co-main event, if this is happening, it sounds like January is kind of this target that's been floating around. Uh, I think it was yes. uh, Conor McGregor's coach uh, said it on the MMA Hour. What if at that time John Jones is done with his legal troubles? Yeah, I mean, if you've got a card that's John Jones, Daniel Cormier too, mm. um, or I mean, it could end up being Jones Gustafson too. Yeah, either because, way, because you know, fight. if Gustafson beats, oh yeah, yeah, I think I Jones, I think Jones Gustafson would be even bigger, just because of um, the way that fight went down. Yeah. Uh, but you have that sequel plus, yeah, if you, if you've got that card on in January, which is the UFC's usually their second biggest card is their January cards. Yeah, that thing is going to be massive. I mean, you're talking 1.5 million, maybe even more. That would be a huge, huge pay-per-view. And here's what puts it to 2 million. Uh, and I won't take ownership of this idea. This is actually, once again, Ariel Helani, who's a fantastic MMA journalist. Uh, if you put CM Punk on that card. So you put CM Punk yeah! in his debut on the main card. So that means he's not the main event, of course. He's not the co-main event. But he debuts in a way that the focus isn't all on him. Of course, he would help boost that card by a significant amount. But it's not the CM Punk show. It's still the Conor McGregor show. And he makes a debut in front of maybe 2 million people. So I think that's the perfect spot for him. And then you fill out the rest of that card with other people who are extremely popular, like a uh, probably not a Ronda Rousey. I don't think you want to do three title fights. I think that might. No, get, yeah, get you couldn't do thing. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you probably couldn't do that. But a Misha Tate in an important fight, uh, or just someone like that. So, God, I'm. You're I'm talking excited. about like this is like the UFC's dream. What you just described. Oh, Everything. I, if that could happen, they would be salivating. Everyone's gonna get injured. I mean, yeah, no, it'll <laughs> end up. It'll end up being. Mighty Mouse versus Ian <laughs> Paul 3 or something like that. But if it all worked out, God, that would be awesome. It would uh, be. It'd be a pretty incredible night. And, you know, this is a, it's a smaller sport. Uh, you know, the UFC is not, of course it's big, but it's, compared to other sports, it's not as mainstream. But having those moments where all eyes are on the UFC. Uh, as a fan who watches every single show, it's so much fun. It's so much fun to talk to people about that and explain certain things that people don't understand, go to a bar and everyone's cheering and freaking out. So those big events, um, the UFC is at its best when it can create a massive event where you're almost shaking as someone is walking to the cage. With every GSP fight, which I was a massive fan of GSP, still am, uh, you just get so nervous. You're like, oh, I hope he doesn't lose. Hope he doesn't, I hope he doesn't get knocked out. What's going to happen here in this Jake Shields fight? Uh, it's it's really special. It is. And you're, you've, you've touched on what makes this sport so fun and uh i gotta be honest you know i i cover these fights for a living now i watch every one of these fights every one of these cards doesn't matter where it is it could be in the middle of nowhere at three in the morning because they're in another country i'm still watching the whole thing yep and it, i've never lost that that love for it um i have stopped caring about who wins because mm. it's just too much oh, totally. i can't i remember when i was relatively new as tommy it was Jones versus Rashad, and there was so much buildup, so much hate between those guys. I was a wreck before that <laughs> fight. I was a wreck, and it's like, why am I? Why am I a wreck right now? These people aren't involved in my life. This is so stupid. So, uh, honestly, I don't ever really care who wins and loses. There's guys I like because personally, I talk to them or something, and and I enjoy interacting with them. 
But in terms of fights, I usually don't care who wins. And I think that's important, actually, for Tommy, uh, just to kind of go back a little bit, because I don't really play favorites. Uh, I can still make fun of a guy I really like a lot. Totally. You know, I like Conor McGregor a lot. I made fun of his his inability to wrestle a lot, you mm. know, and and it's okay to do that. And it's it's fun, and, and I do it in a lighthearted way. Um, so, yeah, I, it's... It is one of those things that you're right, though. The, the MMA fans are just so passionate. It's really cool. It's a great sport to watch. I, I love all sports in general, but uh, there's something special about a huge UFC card that is really hard to describe. Uh, so we've been talking for about 50 minutes. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you so far. What I do want to ask you about, and I think we've covered a lot of different things that people can look at to help them build their channel, build their name. But if you could give us maybe what you see as one of the most important tips. I know I'm springing this on you. But one of the most important tips for someone who's who's getting started and really wants to build a YouTube channel. I mean, me in general, I'd, most of my work comes from writing. I'm a writer first, uh, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm always I'm always trying to build. I'm streaming more now. I'm you know, doing this podcast now. I'm starting a YouTube channel. So for me also, I would like to know kind of what you feel is one of the best first few moves if you are trying to not break out and get a billion subscribers, but just have a consistent audience? I think the biggest things are community, which means be a part of whatever it is you're in. Look, I I was an MMA fan before Tommy, but I was not involved in the community like I am now. I didn't know what the underground was, which is like the biggest MMA forum that's, that's out there. I didn't know what these things were, but then I did. I was involved heavily you know, in these things. Mm. And it made a huge difference. People started recognizing who I was. And gaming is a little bit different because it's a larger community. But get involved in those things. Talk to people. Interact with people. My Twitter, I mean, it's it's almost too hard to do now. <laughs> but when I first started, I, and I literally responded to every single tweet. It did not matter if I was in Twitter jail for three hours because I tweeted to 150 people. I responded to everybody. Everybody felt like they were the most important person to me. So that's huge. Get a community with your audience. Talk to them. Interact with them. The other thing, and this is honestly probably the biggest thing, is, well, I shouldn't say it's the biggest thing. One of the biggest things is getting influential people to see your work. When I first started, I was talking to everybody. and There were fans. I had fans that were like, man, this show's so great. You're making this cool content. But nobody knew who I was. And then I sent, or I should say, uh, Steffi Daniels who from Bloody Elbow, mm. uh, one of the MMA websites, caught on to what I was doing. And we started interacting. And she suddenly started sharing it. Well, she has a lot more eyes on her in the MMA community than I had at that point. And then I started sharing it with other people. There were MMA media that I was talking to. Those were the people, the fighters and the, the content creators in the community and the the media those were the people that ended up making this so huge because they were sharing it with the masses and because i was so fan friendly when i started getting bigger the lot more people i think stayed so i think those two things are huge and then of course the other thing is content your content's got to be good it's got to be something people want to see it's got to be i don't know if it necessarily needs to i mean look there's never an original idea in the whole world everybody's done everything you could look at tommy and be like oh he made the daily show for MMA. I mean, there's always something that somebody else has done. But yeah. to make something people are not doing necessarily at that moment in your community, I think is a big part of it. And consistency. So build a community, interact with your fans, get influencers to look at your work, make really good content, 
and make it on a consistent basis. I think that is the blueprint for any success, honestly, YouTube or otherwise, in terms of media creation. That is the way to get people to see your stuff. It's how I did it with Tommy. It's how we're already doing it with Nuber Goobers. And it's how I'll continue to do it with anything that I ever work on in the future. I think that is the absolute best way to build the community. Are you going to get a billion followers? I don't know. Probably not. I think it takes a little bit different plan <laughs> if you're going to do that. I think, yeah. like, you look at, uh, you know, we talked about PewDiePie. I think PewDiePie sort of appeals to a mass audience. Mm. Um, in, in, you know, Tommy is never going to appeal to a mass audience. Tommy Toehold is never going to have a million subscribers. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and I'm okay with that because what I have is a super dedicated smaller group and I'm able to make my money from that and it works, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, PewDiePie has a whole different thing going on. Um, and I think a little bit of that is also just the, the wave of luck that sometimes hits. You know what I mean? Like a viral video is luck. There is, there's things you can go into it and, and try to make it a viral video, but at some point you get a little bit lucky as well. Um, and to get one of those really massive channels, it's a lot of hard work. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. PewDiePie works his butt off. He makes content all the time. But to be the top level in media, honestly, I don't think you have any control over it. But to be good and to be consistent, those are the things you do have control over. And those steps that I mentioned are how you get to that point, in my opinion. And one of those points you mentioned is something that we've discussed a lot on here and I absolutely agree with. Uh, contacts can be just as important as content. And of oh, course, yes. you're not and you know this, you're never going into a discussion with someone exclusively thinking, man, I need to, I need them to like me because they're influential and I just need, you yeah. know, hand my business card, butter them up, walk away. Um, but it's, it's a reality of life where you need, in a lot of cases, you need to know the right people. You just need to. When I went to uh, E3 my first time, I was 21 years old and I, I pulled the story, but I, I'll at least mention it again. Uh, Michael Pactor is one of the big uh, analysts, which is this big ritzy ass party where everyone who's anyone goes to. And the person I was working for at the time, we had a smaller site. It was my friend Doug. He had, we had written together. He met Michael Pactor in a Las Vegas airport. They hit it off just randomly. And then he said, Hey, are you going to be 83? And he's like, yeah, uh, here, here's an invite to my party. And he was like, I'm also going with two of my writers. Can they go too? He's like, sure. I don't care. So I'm 21. I've at that point had never been paid to write. It was all volunteer work. It was all writing on blogs. It was all making sure that I didn't suck terribly at writing at that point early on. And I'm in this like 14th story uh, party with three open bars, hors d'oeuvres. Um, there's all of Game Informer here. There's all of GameSpot over here. There's the people who make Titanfall. There's Jeff Keighley. There's everyone is there. Um, and that was. I thought I was going to pass out. I'm like, what is going on? Those are people <laughs> you idolize when, right. when you're, you're growing up and you're trying to get in this industry. Uh, and I just handed out so many business cards. And I met the creator of Oddworld, Lauren Lanning. And he ended up being one of the uh, interview interviewees uh, for my first feature on IGN, which was a cover story on the front page. My first ever uh, freelance gig was uh, this multiple interviews and a discussion about PS4 indies and it landed on the front page of IGN. I will not lie. I cried when I got that on the front page. I remember just being like, that not being awesome. able to believe it. Cause I was 21. I was like 21 years old. I'm not supposed to be here yet. All of that. Of course there's all this hard work that feature. I worked on really hard, everything up to that point. I made sure the content was spot on so that it felt like it belonged in IGN. But if you, if I didn't have those contacts, if I wasn't 
And that's where the luck comes in, too. I shouldn't have been at that party, but I made it. Right. And it's those contacts that propelled me to be able to uh, get on IGN. And then from there, it's a snowball effect. Uh, See, I think and yeah, I agree. And, and uh, not to cut you off, there, no, but I think you touched on something that I didn't really touch on and I think is important. You... You you did get into that party and that was luck, but you have so much passion for gaming mm-hmm. that being at that party was a big deal to you. Oh, and is, you yeah. you talked you talked about how you know oh don't just go up to people and like we said find influencers. But the thing is, these people I was interacting with in MMA, I was interacting with because of I love MMA. It wasn't like I was like okay I need to talk to Errol Hawani because Errol Hawani is going to give me an opportunity. Yeah. It was. I want to talk to Errol Hawani because he's one of the best MMA journalists in the world. Oh, my God. I would freak out if I met him. And I, that's how you were. Yeah. I remember I actually called into the MMA hour a few times. Uh, and I've become friends with uh, Eric Jackman, who's New York, New York Rick on the show, because I would just call in all the time and want to talk. And I was talk to Ariel Hawani. And afterwards, yep. be like, that was so cool. Like, and it's yeah, you have to have a passion for this stuff. And it sounds nerdy to be at this party. And these people that everyday people who don't care about video games don't give a fuck about but i see lauren lanning i see uh jim sterling i see these people and they're celebrities to me in the same way that for you you see dana white which is you know a celebrity to most people but you see joe lozon you see ariel hawani and that's a celebrity to you so you need to have that kind of passion i think if you want to if you're getting started in something don't just choose well, I don't really care about baseball, but if I do a whole bunch of SEO stuff on a baseball video video or a baseball YouTube channel, I'm going to hit it off and do great. If you don't have a passion for it, don't fucking do it. Exactly. You will fail, I'm telling you. You don't ha- you won't have the the drive to get it done because it takes so much work to make these things happen. And if you don't love it, you're not going to want to do it because it's long ass hours and you're not going to get money right off the bat. It's just not going to happen. But if you're really passionate about it, one, you're not going to care because you're doing the thing you love. And two, you're going to succeed a lot. Uh, you have a higher likelihood of succeeding than somebody who, like you said, is just like, oh, yeah, uh, baseball, sure, let's do that. You're, you don't care yeah, about that. Care and people can tell. They can tell when you're genuine and when you're not genuine. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I'm, I'm terrible at faking stuff. So if I was doing a baseball channel, it would be the worst thing ever. Yeah. You uh, know? And I agree. You nailed it. And it's why you had that success. And it's why you'll continue to have success because you're passionate about the industry and you want to be involved in the industry. You want to talk to these people. It's not necessarily a career thing. You would just genuinely like to talk to that person. I think that's a big thing. And I think it's important when you're talking about succeeding in these sorts of things, because there's so many people who want to, they don't want to do their job. They, They hate having a job. They want to work for themselves. They don't have a passion for anything. If you're not passionate about it, there is no way in hell you're going to make it outside of a job that's not structured where you go nine to five and everything else, because it's just, it's hard. It's way harder path than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, you know, they, they, like you said, they see people like PewDiePie. Oh wow. Yeah. He just sits there and plays a video. No, there is so much more, uh, in, in making your own, you know, your own way on the internet like we do. And it, it it's not, and you know this again, because you've done this, you, you do this, you're living this right now. <laughs> uh, and it requires that passion. That's, you know, and of course that's such a cliche thing to say, oh yeah, you need passion. Everybody needs that. But honestly, I don't think people really understand what that means. Uh, because, you know, sitting there for 17 hours working on a Tommy Toehold video and, you know, that's, if you're not that passionate enough where you wouldn't want to sit there for almost an entire day, lose sleep, lose meals, then it's probably not the thing you really want to do. 
Absolutely. And I, I do agree that, you know, a lot of people don't understand the passion thing because there's a big difference between going, you know, getting, doing a successful project in your nine to five that you don't really care about. And, uh, like I said, being on IGN for the first time or GameSpot when that means that much to me. And I like, I'm just sitting there, like just shaking my head going like, this is what I've worked for, for as long as I could remember. And the same way with you, when you see one of your videos get 5 million views, I think that has to just be this moment of like, God damn, I, I did it. Like it worked. Um, oh yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty wild moment for sure. Uh, there's been I've I've had so many of those moments. It's kind of crazy. Uh, I really am shocked at my success. Uh, even still, anytime something big happens, I'm just like, wow, I I can't believe that even occurred. So. Totally, and I you, you fully deserve it. I know you're a really hard worker. I've been watching your show for a while, so it's it's been really cool to be able to actually talk to you and uh, learn about how you got into this. You know where you're going. Uh, anyone who's listening, you totally go if you if you care about MMA. Tommy Toehold, find that on YouTube uh, for gaming. You have uh, it's Nuber Goober Gaming, correct? That is correct, and it's hard to say, which we did on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's wow, man. Every time I say that, I have to like slow down my speech so much. Uh, and also, you were on Twitter as Tommy Toehold, correct? That that is correct, Tommy Toehold. And uh, send me a tweet; I'll probably reply to it. Yep. <laughs> really, thank you so much. I had a great time talking to you. And yeah, you know what? I'll hopefully you can be back on the show in the future. This was a blast. I would definitely do it again. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem at all. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And please tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.